You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin this show by calling in the spirits to support us here today. I call out to our ancestors. Each one of us who will listen to the show and participate at any time and at any place, I call out to those ancestors that bring to you and those ancestors that bring to me all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to those who lived well. I call out to those who died well. I call out to those on whose shoulders we stand, those who feel that great cycling through the living to the descendants who are yet to come. I call out to those ancestors to be vital and real and present with us here today, to hold us that we might learn, that we might know now how to ask the right questions and how to hear the answers and how to be one with each other as the living here on this planet with all other living things. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today. And I call out to that great essential first ancestor, one of the great first ancestors of all the evolution of form as we know it. I call out to the earth and I call out to this wonderful being and thank her for her dreaming. In many, many shamanic cultures, we believe that it is the earth's dreaming that brought life to this planet, the life that we now share. And we give thanks to her for the wonder of this dream. And we acknowledge that everyone born of this dream is a dreamer. And may we call on the energy of the earth to learn to dream well, to dream responsibly, to dream with inspiration and heart, that we might create a world that is not only good for all living things, but is a place of great abundance and beauty for those who are coming. So we call out to the earth and we give thanks to her for place, for home, for belonging. We give thanks for connection and interconnection and for this opportunity as humans to make mistakes and to learn from them, and to grow, and to transform, and to become inspired, and to evolve. And we give thanks for that whole plan that is part of this dreaming. So with our feet firmly planted into the earth, our energy going down in gratitude to the earth, we reach up simultaneously. We reach up into the sky, all the way through all the layers of the sky to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, I invite you to call it down. As I call this energy down into our circle here today to bring us blessing and generosity and protection. We call these energies in to bring to us all the wisdom of the cosmos, the wisdom of our star ancestors. We call out to this energy to come and be present with us here today, to hold us in an iridescent sphere of healing energy, to merge with the energy of the earth and to bring these energies into balance that we might move in balance here today. So with the energy of the earth from below and the sky from above and the ancestors circling round, we call out to the energy of the heart in each one of us. We call that energy forward to be alive, to be vital, to be open, clear, strong, and loving. We call out to this energy to be powerful. We call out this energy to do what it does uniquely, which is to hold the space that can be the crucible 
for the alchemical reaction of the passions of the belly that holds the true soul's purpose as it reacts and changes and evolves when it meets the wisdom and the inspiration and the innovation of the mind. And as these energies come together in the heart, let the heart help us to come to know our soul's true purpose and have the courage in this day to live it. And so with these energies called in, I ask that we can hear what needs to be heard and that I will say what needs to be spoken. And I give thanks for the spirit energy that is with us here today. And I give thanks for each of you who are listening on whatever day you choose to do that. And in particular, I give thanks to those of you that are donating to this show. I give thanks to Rose and Jacob and Endrick and all the listeners who have donated since our last show. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, I ask you to allow yourself to move with your heart and to donate to the show itself, that it can sustain others, that this show can continue to be valuable and meaningful and available free to anyone who has the means to connect to an iPod cast and or a, a podcast and listen. This is a fundamental energy in shamanism is that ability to be moved by the power of the heart, to feel what is there to be felt and to allow your actions to be motivated from that place. And this essential capacity is critical for all shamanic paradigms to work for us to be in good relationship with all living things we must be able to be motivated by the heart and so i ask you all if you feel moved to go to the whyshamanismnow.com site and click on the support button any amount humble or extreme is welcome Um, every single dollar goes directly to keeping the show on the air and we are deeply grateful for all of them so our show today is called stump the shaman stealing uh, from the car talk boys. Um, What we're doing today is looking at some of the questions that have been asked about the shows. Many of the questions come later, um, partly because people are downloading these shows and listening whenever they're listening, but also partly because the questions themselves are very thoughtful and complex. They're not just... um, you know, a a random question inspired in the moment, but things that people think about after listening to the shows, um, they usually come in via email. And so this show is dedicated to circling back round to really valuable questions that have come in um, after the fact, not while the show is live on the air. Um, And, in you know, in the beginning of the show, often uh, a listener would send in one of these questions and within, I don't know, four or five shows, we'd dedicate the whole show to answering the question. I mean, these are really big, valuable questions. Um, but as the show's gotten a little bit more popular, there's just a few too many of those for me to do that. And so what I'd like to start doing is shows like this, where periodically we just circle back around to some of the, the deeper questions um, and, and talk about them a little bit more. Uh, so this show is live, and you are welcome to call in during this show. The number is 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or, and you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And by the way, I've been getting a lot of emails that say, oh, I wish I could work with you, but I live in, you know, Tanzania or something like that. Um, and I just wanted to say that some, but not all, well, for me, some but not all shamanic healing 
um, I can do long distance. And so you're welcome to connect to my website, which is lastmaskcenter.org, and you can request a healing through that website. That would be the easiest way to do it for those of you that are not in on the North American continent. And that's um, simple. It's just there are two two websites involved with the show, one that holds the show specifically, which is whyshamanismnow.com, and then the other website is for me as a practitioner with my healing work and trainings and classes and things, and that's lastmaskcenter.org. Um, so, moving right along, on uh, November 2nd, recently, we did a show on oral traditions and how they do and don't translate um, into our electronically networked world today. Um, and you're welcome, of course, to listen to that show and any of the shows that we refer to today on the show website, whyshamanismnow.com or iTunes. Um, on, our sh- on the show website, if you're uh, an Android user, you can connect to the RSS feed on the site. Um, anyway, and on iTunes, you can just Google the name of the show and you'll get them all. Um, so... Right. So we were talking about um, oral traditions, and shamanism is, of course, an oral tradition originally. And I was talking about how the Internet extends the capacity of the storyteller. And in that regard, largely because the, the, the role of the storyteller, in America at least, has um, largely been co-opted by the media, TV, movies, etc., which is... Um, can be wonderful if it's a good story and is really actually pretty um, damaging when it's dysfunctional stories that people are being told over and over and over again. So that's problematic. And so one of the great beauties of the Internet is it allowed this public access to other stories. And so in that regard, uh, the Internet is a major boon for shamanic practitioners in their capacity um, as storytellers, as as people who have a message. And so that's very, very important. Another piece that's important and that, that is very valuable is um, the whole email social networking versions of um, this electronic media. Because what I noticed in terms of people following through, now not all teachers teach um, workshops that you need to follow through from. Because, but in my workshops, uh, they're always – in all of the workshops, we are always doing rituals that begin large personal transformations. There is always a need then to follow up. In my classes, which are short, we just do skills and they're all contained within the day. But in the workshops, which are usually many days, um, there is always a need for follow-up. And in that follow-up, there is a need to build community um, amongst and between the people that have taken that workshop. And that just didn't work until we had email. Yes, we all had phones. We all were not afraid to use them, but we didn't use them. And in the last 20 years that I've been teaching, that, tr- that um, technological transition has happened from having phones to um, having the Internet. And with the rise of Internet and that way of communicating, suddenly these communities are able to function Um, Even on an extremely high level, I have seven very advanced students right now doing um, an astronomically complex shamanic process over these past four months. And they are spread out all over, over two continents and ten time zones. And yet they are working together very closely as a community, almost 
as if they were in a village together because they can connect regularly, daily, via the Internet. There's um, um, an artistic piece of this process where they they periodically need to represent where they are in the process in a mandala. They can take a picture of the mandala, send it to each other. Um, It's been incredible to watch. This wouldn't have been able to work over the phone. And so the the rise of these non-local communities couldn't be supported um, without this um, media. And so, so I'm certainly not saying that um, the oral traditions are ruined by the um, technology of today. I don't, I don't believe that. And at the same time, many things that are present in shamanism and other spiritual practices can only be learned through the actual experience of the thing. Um, uh, I think, I mean, think about meditation. You cannot enjoy the benefits of meditation by talking about it or reading about it, or, I mean, you have to actually do it, (laughs) you know, sorry, but we have to actually do it. Um, so as I was talking about this on the show, I was trying to explain that in your experience of these teachings, as you, as you move deeper and deeper into your own personal integration of oral tradition teachings through experience, that there comes a point when these teachings get written on your bones. Um, so let's talk about the bones for a moment. And, and you know, before I go much further, I also want to say that that wasn't in my little script for the show, my little outline and plan for the show. That's a piece that came through from spirit. Um, and so partly what I want to do, I'm happy for the listener who asked about it, because I want to explain what I understand that to mean, because that really was kind of a moment of shamanism on the air, um, where I, I had a nice little script sitting right in front of me, and we went off in another direction, which was about this idea this experience that can happen about the teachings through only through experience, t- experiencing the teachings in such a way that they are written on your bones. Um, and for those of you that enjoy certain science fiction readers, um, writers, you might be thinking of the girl who's had the the script of the Loa written on her skull, but that's, um, I probably digress at the moment. But anyway, so writing on the bones. So there are some contemporary shamans that are talking about the illnesses of the ancestors being carried in our bones. And I don't want you to be confused by that. I don't personally experience it that way. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm sure that that is how those shamanic practitioners experience it. And that's fine. I'm just saying I don't experience it that way. And so since the message came through me, we have to deal with how I experience things. And um, I don't see the, an- the unresolved ancestral energies being carried in our bones. I see it more the way that Betsy Bergstrom does when she talks about these energies. She calls it overshadowing. It's an energy that needs people need to be depossessed of. But they're not the, the classic... Um, sort of possessing spirit that takes over from the inside out. It's more like a great big, heavy, smelly, wet coat. And there's there's wet coat after wet coat after wet coat until you're you're crushed by the weight of these people 
dead people and their unlived lives and their 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 desire to live their life through you and so it is functionally speaking a possession kind of situation but as betsy very beautifully distinguishes this difference between kind of a classic possessed state and this situation which is quite um chronic right now and and problematic and she speaks of it as overshadowing and that's more how i experience the unresolved energy of the ancestors that they are not something that is coming from the inside out but they are something that is hijacking us or you know jump it's like a monkey on our back kind of thing not something moving from the inside out because what i experience moving from the inside out is um the energy that it, that abides, that is ageless and timeless. So it's so. For example, it is in my bones that I resonate with the great spirits of the land. These are the spirits of the land that are the aspects of the land that are deep and abiding. They are not temporal and changing. These are spirits of the 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 specific place that we're in, or the energies of nature. These spirits are temporal and changing. They're moving here um, in our timing. Or something similar to our timing. I guess trees are longer timing than we are. But the point is, they're living, changing, growing, breathing with us. But the great spirits of the land are huge regional energies that have been here long before people and will be here long after. You know, things that were carved by ice ages and things like that. These are the energies that abide. They are not temporal and changing. They, or, they, or they change very, very, very slowly relative to us. And that these are the energies, type of energies that I feel resonate in my bones. And so you, your soul's purpose is something that is deep and abiding. It, it, yes, it's here just for this lifetime, but it has to do with your soul. And your soul existed before this life and it will exist after this life. And so that is also another aspect of who you are that abides. And so when I'm speaking of the bones... For me, in, in the language that I have with my helping spirits, I'm talking about the truth that resonates with that, that which is old and true, that which abides and is ageless and timeless and is true, versus what is new and true. Because if I'm going to discover what is my soul's purpose and how the hell am I going to do it in this lifetime, I need to be understanding day by day, moment by moment, what is true and perhaps new and innovative because my soul's purpose has never been known before on the planet. So are you tracking with me here? So this, for me, when I'm talking about the bones, I'm talking about knowing something in our bones is a deep, old, timeless truth. Knowing something in our truth cord, I mean, our truth cord is going to resonate with something we would know in our bones because a truth cord always resonates with truth, no matter the source. But the truth cord is more engaged, I am more engaged with my truth cord, I would say, in that co-creative process of who am I, why am I here, what is my soul's purpose, how am I going to do that in this lifetime, and that is the the daily art of living, the daily craft of shamanism, that's the, the thing that's happening, whereas the bones for me, it's like they hold... If it was music, they would hold that deep bass rhythm. And all the melodies and harmonies and everything are skittering along on top, but there is the thing that grounds it. Well, at least for me, since I tend to like to dance to funky music, you know, there is that deep 
energy. So for me, that's the bones. That the bones, for me, don't carry an illness. They carry a deep, ageless, timeless truth. So when I talk about authenticity, I feel that it is something that resonates all the way to my bones. That it is about that which abides. So when the helping spirits came through, or when spirit came through and it said, through experience, something gets written on your bones, are talking about a way in which you embody a teaching so fully that you finally make it yours. And in that making it yours, that teaching gets written in your way on your bones. So there is a way that it is still the abiding, ancient, timeless teaching. It is still true to the essence of the teaching. And yet you have it. It's yours in your own way. So you could then teach from that place because you would have your own experience and your own words to express the teachings. I had a student for a while, a long while, actually, extremely intelligent woman. And we were co-teaching a university course. And I heard her respond to a question from the group using one of my stories that she'd heard me speak. And I felt the awkwardness of that and the, the wrongness of it, in a sense, in that we really shouldn't be teaching from other people's stories, in a sense. We need to have had that experience ourselves and be able to relate our experience to our teachers' stories. Um, I don't know that I really meant to say we shouldn't be teaching with our teachers' stories because we do share, I mean, I share my teachers' stories all the time. I guess what I mean is your teachers' stories can't substitute for your own experience. That at some level, if you don't have your own experience of it, then, then when you share another person's story about it, it sounds inauthentic because you don't actually know what you're talking about. You're just learning when to parrot back that story without having your own authentic truth about it. So anyway, so Sharon in Oregon... Um, in the USA, for those of you that don't know our states all that well, and there's no reason you should if you don't live here, um, asked about um, this whole issue of the teachings in your bones. And she says, by in your bones, do you mean something that resonates with your truth cord? And so the answer is yes and no. So yes, as I've already said, um, in that I'm talking about truth and the truth cord will always resonate with truth, the answer would be yes. But beyond that, the answer is no. That, that, that spirit came through to talk about something deeper that is that that resonates on the level of ancient oral traditions i mean it's a, it's a big thing we were talking about actually so so sharon continued in her email and she said i ask this because in the past year one of my journeys um spirit said that i was not following the correct teacher and her interpretation of that was that she was not following her inner teacher regarding certain medical issues um, as a result, Sharon says, that she argued her point with her doctors about the direction she wanted to proceed with her own healing process. 
um, and that was not necessarily in alignment with the doctor's recommendations, and that she felt very confident doing this, and um, while still being able to be open to what the medical people were saying, and where in the past she would have felt enormous pressure um, by the professionals, the medical professionals, and she's asking, would this be an example of knowing in your bones? And I would say, no, this isn't an example of knowing your bones, but it is a great example of working with several skills simultaneously and integrating your shamanic skills into your contemporary life in a really challenging place for all of us, which is when we interface with the AMA, with the, with the allopathic medical system. It is really challenging um, to enter into that and hold on to any sense of our own power and our own truth and our own knowledge in the face of that. And so what I see is Sharon using journeying and her truth cord, um, cultivating capacity in an extremely challenging situation to be open and non-attached. So I would say that that her example is an incredible expression of contemporary shamanic skills being used in an everyday ordinary life. It's not what I was talking about, though, when I was talking about oral traditions and things getting really written on the bones. And so Sharon continues, though, and she says, what is an eternal knowing? And so now we, we move out of that distinction I was trying to make earlier between me every day engaged in the art of life and these deeper currents in our life, these things that abide and the fact that there are ageless, timeless, eternal knowings that are here for us to know. Even if every single shaman had been wiped off the face of the planet simultaneously, which is almost what happened, we would still have rediscovered shamanism. I believe this in every cell of my body because the knowing that has come to us through shamanic peoples is eternal, ageless, and timeless. We would rediscover it. It is inherent in the nature of the life of a human on this planet. That is my thesis. Okay. Anyway, back to Sharon's question. What is an eternal knowing? The teachings that are passed on to us through oral traditions um, in any spiritual practice, um, but teachings like this that are passed on through shamanism, they can be lost and always found again because they are eternal, because they, in and of themselves, they abide. They are the answer that emerges when the question is asked in this realm that we inhabit. They live beyond the individual person or the individual teacher, the individual shaman. That they are eternal knowings, they abide in and of themselves. Now, we can learn them intellectually. All of them. We can learn them all intellectually. In fact, there's a whole lot of people spending a lot of time and energy learning everything they can intellectually. Bless their hearts. Right? Then, when we begin to live them, when we pick one and choose to actually do it, not just think about it and know it and be able to talk the language, but to do it, to sacrifice of our blood, of our time and our energy to practice, to do it, then we take that learned knowledge into experience and we start to learn it differently. We start to learn it through the wisdom of the body. We start to learn it through the wisdom of the heart. 
We start to learn it through the wisdom of spirit. And the teachings start to take form in multiple dimensions as all the systems of knowing get set up in the body with all these four intelligences. And they start to resonate with each other and inform each other. And what we thought we knew so clearly from our intellectual learning changes. It morphs. It, in shamanism in particular, it utterly transmutes itself when we are willing to bring it into the full experience of a human. So in the fullness of the, the body, the heart, the mind, and the spirit, all knowing in their own ways, simultaneously resonating together instead of reacting with each other, and all contributing to our capacity to know something, then the very thing we're learning changes entirely. Something else takes place. That gets written on your bones. When it all comes together and you found your way back through your own internal path, through your own body, heart, mind, spirit experience, back to the original teaching, to that which abides. You've gone through the teacher so that that which abides has somehow come to the teacher come through the teacher to you, through the learning, through the mind, and then you bring it through the practice into the heart and the body and the spirit, and you bring it all the way in and practice it and live it, and eventually you will find your way back to the origin of it, the essence of it, the source of it. When you do that yourself, through your own experience, it's yours. It gets written on your bones. So that's what I was trying to say. Well, that's what Spirit was trying to say through me on that day. And the implication, of course, was since the oral traditions are packed full of that kind of wisdom that can only be truly known in that way, we will only be able to truly know it through our experience. So Indrik in Estonia asked a similarly esoteric question about stepping into the void. It's a really beautiful question. And so he was talking about his infinity for intensity. And he goes on to say that when I feel great sadness, um, when I'm just crying my heart out for all the pain I feel, I don't turn away from the pain, but I go into it. Okay, that right there was a great big hint that we are now talking about the human experience from a shamanic paradigm or at least a Taoistic paradigm. Right there. Because that was huge, that I don't turn away from the pain, but I go into it. The very Taoistic move there. So he continues. I make the feeling, the intensity of it, as strong as I can, and then stronger and stronger until abruptly, almost as if I had passed through a portal, all that intensity and energy becomes unpolarized. Instead of an ocean of sadness and pain, I have an ocean of pure energy. I uh, feel great calm, warmth, and bliss. Would you consider this stepping into the void? I would consider this excellent work with the true Taoistic nature of our world. In, in other words, not getting caught up in the personal story of why do I feel bad? Why am I crying my eyes out? Why am I depressed? Why am I in this pain? To move utterly beyond the story, the, the small 
bless your hearts, bless my heart for being humans, but we get so attached to our stories. They are very, very, very small relative to the real energies that are moving here in our world. I mean, we have to remember this world of form we are so caught up in that all of these stories play out in is all illusion, every single bit of it. So in this, what, what Endrick is talking about is a way of dealing, uh, a way of using his experience um, to, to move out of this distraction of the illusory world and into the real energies and experience himself in a more accurate form, in a sense, or an accurate experience of himself. I know what the words are for that. Um, you know, so what? I, so so it's important that there's that place of the story that he says, "I don't turn away from it. I go into it." And so there, and there is the portal, the portal where you move out of the drama of your life. You take it, and you, one way or another, through various different practices. He's just talking about his way of doing it, but you intensify it. To the point where you move through the portal out of the drama into the real energies. And so here he is and what he experiences as an ocean of pure energy. And, and ultimately then for him, a feeling of great calm, warmth, and bliss. So the reason I consider this excellent work with the true Taoistic nature of the world because it's about remembering always in every moment, no matter how blissful or how hideous that the other exists in the center of it. The white dot is in the center of the black side of the yin-yang symbol and the black dot's in the center of the white side of the yin-yang symbol. That these are simply phases of the same energy. And our stories keep us polarized and involved in, in a drama that is distracting us from the true nature of these energies. So... Whether or not it's stepping into the void is a, is, a, is a different question, and it's a very interesting question, but it depends in part on how we define the void itself. And, but it would also depend on the energies involved, because I would suggest that someone could do exactly the same thing with extremely blissful, joyful, high experiences. It's just most people don't, because they don't want to avoid those, right? And so... But I, but I would suggest, given the Taoistic nature of things, you could go either way. So, so what is interesting to me about this, again, left to our own devices, we will all reinvent shamanism. Because it is in the nature of what happens when human beings open themselves up to spirit and start asking questions. So here's, you know, Endrick, off in Estonia, reinventing shamanism. Uh, because what he's talking about, whether or not it's stepping into the void, what's important about what he's talking about is he's talking about having discovered the second archetypal path of transformation. Psychologically in America, people talk constantly about transformation being death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth. I'm not saying that it's not. It is. But it is not the only path of transformation. Equally important in life is understanding 
when we are not being asked to move through death and rebirth to transform, but we are being asked to transform the situation through love. And I don't mean namby-pamby, kumbaya, everybody hug each other and kiss-kiss, hug-hug love. I mean real, balls to the wall, scared as shit, four chambers of the heart, open, clear, strong, and loving. Oh, my God, I have got to get big enough to love this moment, and this moment sucks love. I mean the real deal, the source energy, not the romantic ideas or the, you know, wounded child ideas or all these little human stories we have about love, but the big stuff, the real stuff. What he's talking about is accessing the capacity to transform our human experience through love. And that is at the core of all shamanic warriorship. Probably spiritual warriorship as well, but I'm not a master in any other tradition, so I only can speak from this one. But as shamanic practitioners, be we practitioners in the sense of I see clients or just practitioners in the sense that I use this in my life, it is critical that we cultivate our capacity to transform things in life through love. It is the only way we will ever, ever effectively deal with our own shadow which we must do because we are, we are bringing all of humanity down in our refusal to effectively deal with our shadow. We meaning humanity. I'm not just blaming us as Americans. But we're not dealing effectively with our shadow because we don't get it. We're not supposed to kill our shadow. We're supposed to love it. That is the other path of transformation. So anyway, I loved Indrek's question because here he is reinventing this critical piece of truly understanding shamanism and what shamanism offers. Not that we don't go for death, you know, transformation through death when that's the right path. I mean, who I love a fire ritual to clear my life out, you know, any old time. But that is not always what I'm being asked to do. And believe me, that is simpler. Facing death is simpler than facing the path of transformation through love. But that is the path that takes true courage. So I want to thank Sharon and Indrek for their deep and complex questions. And you can see why I couldn't answer these questions on the air. But I want to move along to another topic. We get a lot of questions coming in about mental illness. And that's no mystery. Why? Because... America is the Prozac nation, and we have enormous amounts of not terribly effectively treated mental illness in our country. And we are not alone in that, um, uh, as I see from traveling around the world. So the following questions are all about shamanism and mental illness, one way or another. And there are several shows about this in the archives. For those of you that are new listeners, there's um, a show about mental health in England, which is actually really interesting. Uh, shows on shamanism and depression, shamanism and PTSD, shamanism and addiction, um, a show about transforming mental illness and our understanding of it. Um, there's a piece you know, about war, about curing our cultural sickness, which is also about mental illness and listening to voices parts one and two these are these are all different shows that approach this question how do we deal with mental illness so there's an email from a listener in the u.s who has a problem that many 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 americans share and again i don't think this is isolated exclusively to america 
Um, I have a feeling that this is pretty pretty widely spread throughout the Western world. And any of those silly nations out there that haven't been part of the Western thinking and are accepting that as the mode of thinking, because I am here to tell you, as someone from the Western world, it is not a sustainable belief system. It's not the way to go. Hang on to those belief systems you have that are actually sustainable, because this one isn't. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is mental illness. Well, of course, <laughs> that is probably what is fundamental underneath all of our mental illness, but that in and of itself is, as I said, another show. So this listener writes beautifully here. She says, I was listening to the archive of um, Energy Exchange and INI, which is a show that you can all go listen to. She says to me, you were speaking about people who find it easier to step around pain instead of attending to what we feel. I have experienced major bouts of anxiety um, that have impacted my life on and off since my teenage years. When it gets to be too much, I seek professional help. I am usually put on an SSRI. I feel this is just band-aiding the solution and is not true healing. Let me repeat that. This is, her, this is from her email. I feel, she says, that this is just band-aiding the solution and is not a true healing. She continues. The last episode that she had, not episode of the show, but the last episode she personally had, she said she felt so bad uh, and that she needed help to stop the spiral that she was in. And the SSRI that she was prescribed helped. Um, however, she says, I wonder if I am just cheating myself. She continues, the medication does dull my emotional reactions, and I am thankful for that relief. But because I am not feeling it, I sometimes forget that I need to deal with it. Can I still continue my healing on this kind of medication, or is it a hindrance to what I am supposed to be learning? So first off, I want to thank this listener for writing in. I feel like this simple email here is very courageous it's very honest and I think that it is true for thousands of people I think she is not remotely alone in what she has written and said and perhaps in some ways is halfway there because she can articulate it so beautifully what I find so powerful in her words is her own knowing it's all right there in that email even the right questions, it's all, it's all right there, right? So, yes, she's right. It is a Band-Aid. SSRIs are Band-Aids. They are not true healing. She's, she's right about that. And the relief they bring may be exactly what you need to be able to take the next steps you need to take for true healing. So this is... What I always say to clients, especially new clients, who ask about, you know, if I'm on medication, will that keep this from working? And I ask them, you know, do you need to be on medication to get to your session? And they say, yeah. I said, well, then you need to be on that medication right now. It in and of itself isn't a block to healing in and of itself. It's just like money in and of itself isn't evil. right? The medication in and of itself isn't going to stop your healing. That the energetics of shamanic healing are not um, limited or blocked in general by these medications, especially in the beginning of working with someone. The SSRIs um, are there to help people to cope. They are not there to heal. 
And, and actually, practitioners used to be really clear about that, that these are for helping you to cope. They are not medicine as in a cure, right? So as long as you remember that, that you are taking this medication until you can cope or so that you can cope, so that you can then take the steps that you need to actually heal, then we're all good, right? But that puts the responsibility of the person taking the medic puts the responsibility on the shoulders of the person taking the medication. Now my sense that this particular listener who wrote in is extremely responsible and is because she's already asking the right questions, she's already taking the responsibility. Um, but of course that is the truth here is we are actually all ultimately responsible for our own healing. So as long as you recognize that it is to help you cope and not necessarily to heal sure and that you can continue your healing as long as you don't forget that you need to do that i mean it's all really the the crux of her question is really in that place of once the pain's gone we forget that we need to do the healing i mean in that way the pain is our friend it reminds us in the beginning at least that something's wrong so the thing about this to remember is that the feelings are still there to work with no matter what you take, how much you take, and how long you take it, the feelings aren't going away. You're going away from the feelings. You're, you're numbing out to the feelings, but they're not going anywhere. The pharmaceutical isn't transforming your feelings. It's just numbing you out to them one way or another. So my point in that is that, I mean, that's the good news in the sense that the path to healing is in the feelings. They're not going anywhere. So when you are ready, willing, and able to feel the feelings, you can find that path. Because it's, like I said, they're not going anywhere. You are. You're just stepping away from them for a while. So step back, right? I don't say necessarily do that by yourself. Do it in the hands of a good practitioners that can help you. Um, but they are there. The feelings are there. And they will always be there. Until you can turn compassionately towards yourself, probably with assistance, and begin to feel them and to walk the path they want to take you on. And now not everybody has the capacity to do that the way Indrik is describing, in that enormously intense way that he's describing. But there are many, many paths to work with our feelings. Some are very eloquent and subtle and powerful, and others are intense and, um, you know, going right for the source in the way Indic described, and everything in between. There are many, many effective ways to deal with your feelings, but this sense of, am I cheating myself, is there because you already know that you are. If you're forgetting to circle back around when you feel better to deal with the reason you felt crappy in the first place. So, now, moving on with this topic of mental illness, uh, Doro in California writes that on behalf of a client, I was researching about shamanism and mental illness, and this is how she found the show actually in the first place, um, and that she's interested if there is training available on how to address mental illness shamanically, that she's a practicing shaman and she's not tackled this complex issue yet and is looking for training. Now, there are actually many, many challenges here in this question. Um, but I want to focus on just one. And the main one being that shamanism functions 
as a healing form based on an entirely different paradigm for illness and healing than the allopathic AMA model out of which we get pharmaceuticals and therapy and all that stuff. And it is the difference in that paradigm that makes shamanism differently effective. And so once again, I just said different, not better or worse, and they both have their own efficacy, right? But we're talking about shamanism here. Okay. So shamanic healing can offer, can offer a true path of healing for some people with what we would call today allopathically mental illness. So an example, many, many years ago in the very beginning of my practice, I worked with a woman who had been diagnosed with multiple personalities, which is kind of an extreme diagnosis, I guess. But anyway, she was pretty highly functional, but she still flipped between personalities. And it was problematic in her life. And so she came to me as a practitioner at the Omega Institute for help. And um, I did some soul retrieval work with her that benefited her greatly. So she pursued um, shamanic healing with a shamanic healer in her area. Um, There were several other soul retrievals, some deep possession work, some extraction work, um, a lot of power retrieval work. She began to, and in that power retrieval work, she started to work with her own helping spirit. She did a great job integrating all those soul parts. I mean, it was all it was all good. It was all, she did her part. The practitioners she saw did their part. She started working with her own helping spirits. I believe, if I'm not getting my stories confused, she ultimately started doing shamanic healing work herself for others. So there was a long path there of several years. But when I ran into her several years later, she 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 came up and she gave me a big hug and she said, Christina, and I, I didn't recognize her at all. Like I'd never seen her before. And she, she laughed and she said, you don't recognize me at all, do you? I said, no, I don't. I'm sorry. And she said, no, it's good. I said, why? And she said, well, because when I saw you five years ago, I was multiple personality. And she said, you know, you set me on the path of shamanic healing and now I'm not. I mean, that's a really powerful thing for someone to say who has a, who ha- has presented to the extent of being actually actually able to get a diagnosis of multiple personality, which is what it was called back then. To be able to stand there and joyfully say, you know, thank you so much. I'm not anymore, by the way. I mean, that's not even the point for her. It's like that's that's old news for her. It's like water under the bridge now that she's really more excited about the fact that she's been really working well with her helping spirits and she's starting to see clients and she's helping other people and she's so thankful for this journey. So, yeah, okay, this is like a great story. This isn't what always happens, but the point that I'm making is some really severe forms of mental illness can sometimes find a complete path of healing through the work of shaman, shaman or shamans, and the person who's willing to do their part of the work. Now, if I circle back around just for a minute to the question about SSRIs, for someone who's following the path I just described, this woman that I worked with who was the multiple personality, At some point, had she been taking medication, she would have had to stop to get to where she was. That eventually, the medications themselves do distort the information that we want to get at to work the process. But usually, by the time we're there, we don't need the medications anymore anyway. So it's a process. 
But I would not be someone who said you can't do this work if you're on these medications because I haven't found that to be true. In the beginning, people are quite capable of doing that. It's just deeper on in the journey like this woman was on. Um, she would have eventually needed to get off all of her meds. Okay, but that's a, you know, it's a different story. Anyway, back to mental illness. Shamanism, the paradigm that shamanism operates on allows a different way of looking at mental illness. And that while we, we would need to look at each person individually and divine the path towards that person's healing uniquely, at the same time we need to understand that what we call today mental illness is considered community illness in most shamanic cultures. That the person presenting the system is not diagnosed as the one with the problem, but the fact that a person is presenting the symptoms is in and of itself the diagnosis of the community. The challenge we have with that today, of course, is who is the community of the person presenting the symptoms. It's a very, um, very challenging situation to deal with in a traditional shamanic way and what I would say is an even more effective shamanic way. So the point that I would well, the answer that I would have to Doro's question in California is that there isn't ever going to be a generic shamanic treatment for schizophrenia or OCD or whatever. There is never going to be a generic shamanic treatment for a certain illness because shamanism doesn't work that way. We, we don't, the paradigm doesn't lend itself to that way of thinking. That's an allopathic way of thinking. Um, at the same time, yes, shamanism practiced as it's designed to be practiced, so you don't need any special training for it. But shamanism, as it is truly authentically practiced, does allow people, uh, shamans, to support people in finding the path to unfolding, unwinding their own mental illness. So I want to move along to another aspect of mental illness, which is um, dementia and other problems in the elderly. And this, this lovely woman wrote in actually kind of a heartbreaking email. But anyway, she wrote in, um, my father has advanced dementia and I am wondering whether you have ever conducted healing on a person who has this illness and have been able to reverse the illness. It does not run in our families, so I do not believe that it is generational or ancestral. He is an African-American and served in the Marine Corps for 25 years um, with tours of duty in Korea during the war and two tours in Vietnam. Are you able to divine from your guides the root of the problem and determine whether his illness may be reversed or healed? We are feeling so grief-stricken and overwhelmed with wanting to help him. It would be so wonderful to have him well. So I wrote back to her and I said, um, not only was I very sorry to hear of his illness, because it seems really unfair. I mean, not only did this man serve his family, but he served his country. It's a horrible way to go. Um, and I have worked with people who have dementia and other things we now associate with old age. And the work that I have done has brought some relief, but no cures, no reversal of the illness. Now, there may be other shamans who have something different to offer. And at the time, I didn't know who to mention because I don't remember any stories about that. But that doesn't mean they're not out there. Mostly the work that I've done has freed the elder from painful symptoms that arise because their energy is changing in the spirit world. In other words, as someone who is an adult and has free will and is expected then by the spirit world to use their free will, develops the mental capacity of a child, 
Now they have free will, but they don't have the protections of a child. And so they are often preyed on by energies that are just waiting to get a hold of free will through someone who can no longer protect and um, guard, in a sense, that resource so that it's used well. So, so many of these old age things are, are problems that arise as a person loses the capacity to function as a spiritual adult in their lives. So these people, uh, so the people that I've been able to help would be people who were screaming that they were being attacked by demons or talking about wanting to die because of the pain that they were in, even though there was no neurological reason for them to be in pain. Or people hanging on desperately to an enormously diminished quality of life because they were afraid of death. And shamanism can help these people actually quite a bit um, to relieve these um, symptoms, to create resolution in some of these areas. But I personally haven't been able to reverse, to entirely reverse any of these old age, um, what we consider these old age illnesses when they're quite progressed. That doesn't mean shamanism wouldn't help. There could be unresolved issues from this man's time in the service that are contributing factors. There could be any number of issues around soul loss, given that he's an African-American in America. I mean, there's a whole lot of um, room for shamanic healing there. But the main issue with these illnesses is that they are ultimately cultural. And they relate to our lack of place for elders and our lack of elders that are functioning communally. And that we, the people are not going to change our cultural relationship with aging, elders, death, and spiritual maturity in time to help this woman and her father. Um, That's the bad news that I'm sorry to say. But there may be a whole host of contributing factors in any of these cases, this man's or anyone's, that could be eased um, through shamanism. And so um, I, I would encourage people to seek that kind of help, especially for someone who's lived as long as this uh, woman's father and has done so many different things with their life there might be a great deal of help shaman, uh, in easing the symptoms that shamans could offer and there may be indigenous shamans who could attend to this it's not a traditional problem it's a contemporary one but that doesn't mean a practitioner that is not of this culture wouldn't see it differently and ask different questions and thus get different answers so there's a whole lot that hasn't been explored here and so I'm actually running out of time, and I have a whole bunch of other great questions from listeners. So what I'd like to do here at the end of this show is just say thank you, truly, to say thank you for these people out in the world, as you can see all over the world, who are thinking so deeply about these ideas, about why we should be engaging in shamanism now in our lives. How do we walk this practical path towards authenticity and how do we do it in this time that we have chosen to live in how do we co-create a life because i believe it is art in um such challenging interesting crazy times and so i want to thank you all for listening and to thank and particularly thank those of you who are obviously taking the ideas in deeply and thinking about them and reflecting back from your own lives and your own experience. And I want to thank the courage in people that send these email questions in um, and just um, 
wish for you all that you find a way in which shamanism in one way or another can help you um, where you are asking for help and can inspire you where you're asking for inspiration and continue to enrich your lives for those of you who have already found that it is enriching your life. So thank you all. I want to thank the ancestors for being with us here today, yours and mine. Thank the earth below and the sky above. And to give a deep thanks to the heart that unites us all, for it is through this connecting, through these questions, through these answers, even hopefully through the show, that we connect um, as people in the world. So next week our show will be on healing the heart. I hope you'll all join us. Thank you very much. 